Hello and welcome to Babel Babble, a podcast about translation. I want to talk about literature and translation, translated fiction, translation theory and practice, and everything in between. This podcast is hosted by yours truly, Lucia. I am a translator and PhD candidate in translation studies here in the UK. This podcast series includes ramblings, reviews, interviews, or just random translation chat. Heyo, this episode is coming your way via an incredibly messed up lockdown brain, so bear with me. This came to be because a friend of mine who listened to the first episode suggested I do want to talk about some of the specific translation terminology that might be mentioned in this podcast and that our non-specialists might not know about. But don't worry, this is not an episode on translation theory per se. I won't go into great detail about all the debates surrounding some terms, mostly because I could go on for hours and hours and I don't think this is the place for that. I also don't want to bore you to death. One basic thing we need to get out of the way. Original versus translation? Source versus target? What do you mean? Well, the first one is quite obvious, but when we want to talk about translation, we generally have two separate independent texts. And by text, I also include films, television shows, music, etc. They could be different versions of the same text in different languages or not. They could just be manifested in two different media. Or even, we could be talking about multiple translations, meaning multiple texts. And I would even argue all texts are multiple, both in their creation, their origin, but also in their translation. By that, I want to make clear that I don't see the translation as a second-class citizen. No matter what kind of translation we are talking about, I believe they are in equal standing to the quote-unquote original. If we have at least two separate worlds, contexts, and texts, that means that there is a certain direction implied from one to the other, and that there should be specific names for each part of that process. An opposition terminology that is used by laymen and some specialists alike is original versus translation. Many translation scholars, as well as practitioners, have a problem with that terminology. I won't go into detail because it is a long debate full of arguments, but it's safe to say that calling one thing the original implies for many people that translation is merely derivative. By using terminology such as source versus target, theorists try to use more neutral language to talk about both of these participants in the translation process. In the previous episode, when talking about the translation, I said that I liked the fact that the translator found a voice for Olga Tokarczuk in English, but that the text itself was not domesticated, or rather, that it sounded quote-unquote foreign. By that I meant it still kept some of the Polishness of it. These words, foreign and domestic, come from Lawrence Venuti's now famous work, uh, where he talked about the dichotomy between the translation strategies of foreignization and domestication. His words are often twisted by others, and many forget that when he first proposed this dichotomy, he was talking specifically about the U.S. market for translated literature, which is a case in particular. His view was to not make the reader of the text, in this case the American reader, be confronted with the fact that that text was coming from a different a foreign culture, but also to make the text sound foreign, stylistically in its language. To put this in very simple terms, domestication would be to bring the text and the author closer to the readers. Foreignization would be to bring the reader closer to the author, to the source text. This is how Friedrich Schleiermacher put it back in the 19th century, even though he did not use these two terms, foreignization and domestication. What does this all mean? 
let's say, a text written in Brazil by a Brazilian author and about their Brazilian childhood talks about a specific game they used to play as children. If the translator wants or needs to domesticate that text and they are translating it to a British audience, they might choose a game that British kids played, but which could have nothing to do with the original game. Or even, let's say, the name of the character is Zé, and they decide to translate the name to something that sounds more British, or even to set the story in a small town in the Midlands. This is, in a way, erasing the Brazilianness of the text, and at the same time, making it easier for the reader to understand the reference, to have a similar reading experience to that of the original that evokes specific images. There is nothing wrong with that, and that is totally a totally valid stance. I myself prefer the other option, to foreignize, to make it clear that that text was written in a different place, and to bring that culture closer, without having to pretend that that book was written originally in, in English. Many people, especially in English-speaking countries, would disagree with me. Benuti has had many critics and many who agree with his very political stance on the position of translated literature and its role as an educator of the reading audience. Whatever your position regarding theory and practice of translation is, there is no denying he initiated a very important discussion. A translation is never completely one or the other. Even if the translator has a very specific strategy in mind, every translation choice will force the translator to shift between these and possibly many other strategies. It is worthy to see it as, as a spectrum. I myself in my translation practice, even though in general I am all for foreignization, uh, more for foreignization than domestication, sometimes I have had to adapt some things and have as a result made a choice that could be located on the domestication end of that spectrum. It is also important to point out that this can be dependent on so many things. The edition process changes the text a whole lot. Proofreaders and editors and agents all interfere, and the specific target audience that the publisher has in mind can also interfere in how foreign or domestic a translation is. One thing I will say about this is the following. I grew up reading all sorts of books in translation. Translation makes up for a huge chunk of the Brazilian literary market. And knowing that that book was not written by a Brazilian author and that the story was not set in Brazil was never a problem for me. But that might be just my colonized childhood talking. Now, you might have heard people use the word fidelity or faithful when talking about translation. Many people in translation studies and also in adaptation studies have a problem with that term. Why? Well, when you use this, you have a series of assumptions in mind. First of all, faithful to what exactly? To the author? To the language or culture represented in or through it? Faithful to the reader? Translators often serve two masters, and when you assume fidelity, you probably also assume that the translator must be trying to be faithful to one or both of them. The concept is fraught, and often people do not clarify what they mean by it. Every translation is a specific reading of a text, and readings are multiple. There is no one real correct reading of a text. The act of reading and the act of translating are both complex cognitive activities that activate several parts of your mind at the same time. This information by itself would be a good argument to support this different readings view, but we can see many examples of different readings, different interpretations of the same text, even sometimes having a different interpretation every time you read a text. Did you ever reread a text years later and had a very different reaction in reading of it? I know I certainly did. A translator reads a text over and over and over again, looking for all the clues. A translation, a translator often does something that might be regarded by others as almost uh, an overinterpretation. But that is because a translation is the most instant, intimate reading text, reading of a text, and the translator is closest reader. 
Some translators even find things in a text that the author didn't realize were there, references and hints and even overarching themes. So when you say a translation was faithful, what do you mean by that? Faithful to whom? Faithful to what reading of the text, to what view of the author, the culture? Often people use it when they themselves have read that author in the source language and are able to trace the style of this author in the translation. Fair enough. But many times the word is used deliberately without thinking much about any of these issues. And funnily enough, without having access to the source, without, without having to go through a translation. So how then would you be able to conclude that this is faithful? As you can see, it's lazy terminology, often used because people do not know how to read translations and do not know how to talk about them. A similarly problematic concept is that of fluency. I have seen L2 translators, that is, those who translate into a second language or a non-mother tongue, claim that they have had their translations reviewed and often the word fluent was tossed around in such a way that it implied that this wasn't expected of them. There are many cases of translators who are not white suffering from that kind of prejudice. The use of the word fluent is like fidelity, very vague, and often its users do not know what they mean by it or at least they don't see their position as clear as clearly. I have heard judges of translation awards saying that their definition of a good translation is one that sounds like it is not a translation, like it was written in English originally. Why then would we need a separate translation award? Or even, why then couldn't translated books run for the Booker Prize, the main one, not the international? I strongly believe in the power of treating translation as a genre and dedicating time and effort to learning how to properly talk about a translation to communicate with the public in a way that these works deserve. They do not deserve to have fluency as a trophy because that is not what these works strive for and that is not why we read translations. Why can't we read something odd, different, not fluid? I have recently talked to a translator who said that to him, fluency is the enemy of creativity. And I agree. Why be fluent when you can be fun? So as you can see, these terms are problematic and they are used without a second thought. I would like to give many thoughts to them and try to avoid using them when talking about translation here in this podcast. Now is the time for you, the listener, to tell me what you want to hear about. I have many ideas of what to tackle here, from book reviews to interviews, debates, so much. But I want to know what types of conversations would you want to hear or engage in. I would happily comply and try to make this not only my little corner of the internet, but yours as well. Thank you for listening anyway. I hope this helped you somehow. Thank you for listening to Babel Babel. I hope you like it and I hope you come back for the next episode. 